What is up? What is up? What is up? It's Friday on the game board. <laughs> Welcome to the end of the week. I'm your host, Wolf. And boy, do we have we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So <laughs> let's just get on with it. Uh, a story that I missed yesterday was that Activision sued was sued for de uh, depicting for its depiction of a female character in Call of Duty. Uh, that apparently that suit was filed because. Uh, somebody was trying to come up with a character for a book or a game or something and he hired uh, a model and put her in body armor and all, all this stuff and Activision apparently saw these pictures because they're on uh, Instagram or something they saw these pictures, hired the same model, hired the same makeup artist, and had them had the makeup artist recreate like the pictures completely so that this model's face could be scanned into uh, Call of Duty Warzone. So uh, <laughs> it seems as though it's probably a direct copy of this person's work. Um, so it uh the problem is for him though is that he filed uh copyright officially in December of 2020. So uh it, it I mean I, I when I say he filed the copyright I mean th to say that he registered the photos as you know having been created on a certain date he did that on December 21st so I don't know. I guess we'll see what actually happens with that, but it sure looks like something that Activision is going to have to answer for, and I don't think they're going to win, personally. Uh, anyway, let's get on with today's news. Let's start with the rundown. Okay, so uh, the director for Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, went out and apologized almost immediately after the show or while I was uploading it. Uh, Sony patent could hint at an upgrade, uh, upgraded dual sense controllers. The Prince of Persia sands of time is not happening anymore, or it's been inf delayed indefinitely. If you'd prefer that and SpaceX filings reveal that Starlink internet service has over 10,000 users so far, all of that and much, much more. I say that every day, but I I'm telling you, we have, Let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. We we've got well over well over twenty stories to get to today. So, on with the show. Mass Effect Legendary Edition changes camera shots that focus on Miranda's butt. Uh, if you played Mass Effect Two, you may or may not remember Miranda Lawson. She was the Cerberus double agent, and uh, she she was kind of the she was clearly there to be the like sexy spy character. Um, that being said, there were a lot of shots of her butt that apparently are being removed in the legendary edition. Uh, I, if I go back in my memory, I think I know what they're talking about. Um, I don't know that it necessarily needed to be removed. I'm not, really against the decision 
it would be nice to see her face, but uh, I don't see it as being a particularly big issue. It's just something that uh, has happened. So be aware, be aware that you're going to see a lot less of Miranda Lawson's butt in uh, Mass Effect 2's Legendary Edition. Xbox wants to team up with Elon Musk to make the Warthog a reality, the Warthog from Halo a reality. This comes to us from Game Informer by Leanna Rupert. Uh, apparently, there was a little bit of back and forth over on Twitter uh, between Musk and one of Xbox's uh, hype people, I mean, uh, Xbox general manager of marketing, <laughs> Aaron Greenberg. <laughs> uh, hype person may be a little uh, offensive. So <laughs> we'll go with uh, general manager of marketing. Aaron Greenberg went on Twitter and... Um, he had a back and forth with uh, Elon Musk, right? And he said in his tweet, quote, sure feels like a Tesla Tesla X Halo collab needs to happen at some point. Cybertruck, hashtag Cybertruck, hashtag Warthog. To be clear, this would be a dream collab for me and many fans I know. So if you like the idea, speak up and maybe something in the future could happen. Who knows? Uh, apparently, according to Rupert, uh, Musk is a fan of Halo the Halo franchise. So it would be kind of interesting to see what, if, if that actually moves forward. If you remember Elon Musk, uh, his boring company, that's the name of the company. It's boring company. Boring company makes a flamethrower that's called not a flamethrower. So it's possible that he would go out and make a fully functioning Warhog. I don't know if it would actually have a 50 cal machine gun on it, but I mean, it would have to, right? It would have to. It would have to have that machine gun on there. Um, it, it just, it just has to. I, I don't, I, I don't even know what else to say. If it, if it's not there, is it really a Warhog? Silent Hill tease it. Uh, Silent Hill tease pulled after composer sets tongues wagging. This comes from Eurogamer. So, last night, Silent Hill composer Akira Yamoka, I'm going to go with Yamoka, uh, set fan hopes ablaze with a teasing video interview given to YouTube channel Alhub. I think it's Alhub. Looks like an L, not an I. Alhub. So, it says, quote, discussing the fact he was working on a new project due to be announced this summer, Yamoka said... I think it's the one you're hoping to hear about, end quote. Now the interview has suddenly been made unavailable to watch, and Al Hub has issued a statement regarding its disappearance. So, um, the scuttlebutt, obviously, and <laughs> the interview being pulled just kind of makes it more concrete that uh, there is going to be a new Silent Hill coming out <laughs> at some point. Um, it's just, it, it it's just obvious, right? Like, it's one thing for the composer to say, I think it's going to be the one that you're hoping for. It's a totally different thing for the interview to be pulled completely uh, just based on that one sentence. You know what I mean? So here's the statement from Al Hub. Uh, we thank you for your support, which contributed to the spread of the interview that we published yesterday with um, Akira around the world. We were asked to remove the clip and it has been removed. We apologize and stay tuned for the our next interviews. Um, I'm not sure why they apologized. It's not like they did anything wrong. Um, which kind of, uh, it brings me to, it brings me to this, uh, 
story. Okay, yesterday we talked about um, the Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, director criticizing what he described as snake oil salesman. Okay, and he said that uh, people were these some of these developers were overselling the game, and game journalists were. Um, not they were playing into it and not telling the truth about what the game actually was. <laughs> so, and he was expressing frustration at the fact that uh, his his the the story for Ori and the Will of the Wisps was knocked off of the front page of one of the one of the news sites in favor of No Man's Sky. Right. So, uh, <laughs> he he went on. Uh, Resetera, Reset Era. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. it I I know what it is. It's a forum, right? You, it looks um, like a like Reddit almost. Anyway, so it uh it it sparked all kinds of controversy, um, and especially in the in the journalism world. And it just it it kind of it was enough apparently for for him to go out and apologize as I was uploading the episode yesterday. And the reaction is kind of interesting. Let me let me pull this up, see if I can uh, explain this to you. So he he goes on and he, he goes on Twitter and he says, quote, Yep, I screwed up yesterday. Here's my thoughts. Okay, here here's the full letter. Hey everyone, by now a lot of you will probably read my posting on Resetera yesterday. I had a bit of a chip on my soldier shoulder and talked about the downsides of the current hype culture and how developers making false claims about their products hurts not only the consumers, but developers as well. At least that was the intention behind it all. Now, a day later, I've read the responses and I realized I wasn't thoughtful in the way I presented my thoughts, nor did I choose the right tone or platform for it. After I made this thread, I had a pretty long conversation internally about all of this, and I definitely didn't represent Moon Studios the way I should have. I'm a game developer. I love what I'm doing and I enjoy nothing more than making than to make games that surprise people that put a smile on their faces or that even make people cry. But I'm also a passionate gamer myself. I always enjoyed sharing my love for games on public forums and can continued to be very outspoken even after Moon Studios and the Ori series became known entities in the games industry. I always really liked the idea of gamers and developers alike having an open discourse about games so that we could all figure out together how to improve the art form. Yesterday, I used an overly aggressive tone that wasn't really suited for someone in my position. My intention was definitely not to hurt anybody, but to offer up a discussion starter on current issues the industry is facing. We all share a common love for this art form, and we would we should always remain respectful with each other. And I wasn't yesterday. And for that, I am really sorry, especially to those that I mentioned by name. I promise that I'll learn from this mistake and wish no hard feelings towards anybody. Thank you all for lending my lending me your ear. So that was the entire letter. And the response on Twitter was uh, kind of interesting. It, it most of the most of the responses are were in support of of what he said yesterday. Right. And, and um like I like I talked about as well. I I don't know that I agree that he it was kind of um it could have been worded differently, <laughs> but uh, it, it 
I took it as what he claims he intended it to be, right? Um, it, it's a conversation starter, and I, I agree with that conversation starter. I think that journalism in the games industry is still stuck in the past when it was part of the marketing division for the publishers. I think that there are there are not enough games journalists who are willing to or able to go out there test out a game and give their give their opinions that aren't uh always just glowing praise i talked about this last week specifically in terms of reviews i think that the review system is kind of it it needs some updating because every game that i've ever seen the lowest score is a seven you know what I mean? And I understand that part of that is the business side, right? If you're not if you're not putting a 10 um, on the cover of a video game, then you're not advertising your outlet. But that's uh, that should that's not even the point to me, right? And that's not the point to a lot of people that pay for these games and play these games. And that's the that's the issue, right? The issue is that uh, I believe a lot of outlets are more interested in getting their name on the cover of a game um, that they helped hype than they are about uh, giving more honest reviews or asking more questions. The example that I gave yesterday was Cyberpunk. You know, I'm playing Cyberpunk right now on the Xbox One. I'm hoping to get a review out before the 1.2 patch comes out just to give CDPR uh, a fair shake (laughs) after their complete screw up on the launch of that. Uh, But at the same time, when I I wasn't able to get an advanced copy of cyberpunk because I'm, I'm not, I'm not at that level, right. Or I'm not uh, recognized yet. But for those who did get an advanced copy, it, it seems kind of I'll go back and read the articles, but it seemed like they got, obviously they got the PC version and there wasn't a lot of question as to why didn't we get the keys for the other uh, platforms? Why didn't we get the keys for the PS4 and the Xbox one? Why did we only get it for the PC? You know, um, hindsight's always 2020. Maybe you, maybe that was the first instance a lot of these uh, reviewers ran across a situation like that. It was definitely uh, one off for Cyberpunk because Sony delisted it. So like, you can be forgiven for that. Uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, and you can only do so much, right? Um, it, it just, it's see, there's uh, an issue that needs to be addressed and i i agree that somebody with the ability to do that should bring it up and i appreciated it uh this guy bringing it up uh other people didn't other people took it as a personal attack and they felt insulted and they felt insulted on behalf of other people um it just kind of, uh, I, I don't know. I, I circling back to the uh, Silent Hill story. I don't know why 
as as journalists, right, when you're conducting an interview, like it's not your uh, as long as you're not doing it in bad faith, obviously, um, apologies should be done for things that are true mistakes. Um, I don't I, I think this was 20 percent a mistake. Um, I don't know. We, we can probably dissect this continually for uh, a week, but I'm I'm saying all of this ultimately to come to a place where a thought struck me. I was driving around. I was thinking about this and a thought struck me. I really truly believe that the truth is something that needs to happen and it's sorely missing in the games industry, at least from a reader perspective or a consumer perspective. It just seems like there's a lot of uh, untruth. A a lot. So (laughs) something that occurred to me was that you know what if what if there were a site that was like reset era reset era reset era um where developers could say their piece right and do it anonymously and what if that was moderated and what if that was the way for them to get things off of their chest and speak to the public without needing to worry about losing their job or losing the backing of the public, you know, it is an interesting idea to me. And I think I'm going to explore that. So keep an eye out for that. I, I might have something there. Maybe I don't, maybe, maybe it'll turn out into nothing, but this whole, uh, incident is kind of, it should be a turning point, at least for journalists. And it's going to be a turn- turning point for me. Uh, I don't know about anybody else. Um, maybe other people feel like they he was properly shamed and is now um, put in his place and won't speak up and we can all move on from that. But as for me, I want to continue that conversation that was started. Anyway, uh on with the next story. We've got, what do we have? Uh, Google engineers leave the company over controversial exit of top AI ethicist. So the reason I picked this, this isn't necessarily about video games, but the reason I picked this as a story to share with you is because um, I've been talking about it since I confirmed it, but I'm speaking with Hilmar Peterson on Tuesday. And part of... Part of my research uh, led me into into the metaverse and, you know, about the possibility of AI and like what it, what are the ethics of the metaverse and what it, what are the ethics of the economy and working inside of the metaverse? How do you get paid? How do you enforce contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you know, and a lot of that has to do with like, I mean, some of the answers could be an artificial intelligence. So. How do you ethically handle an artificial intelligence? Because you're creating it. How do you, how does one ethically create an artificial intelligence? Now that's a little too deep of a conversation to have today, but uh, this article I found kind of interesting, right? Because apparently one of the one of the lead um, AI ethicists brought up a an issue that she felt was not being handled correctly. Um, 
let me see if I can find it. So uh, this comes from Engadget, and it says in part, um, in a report trying to get to the bottom of what happened, MIT's technology review said Gebru, who is the ethicist, Gebru's departure was a result of a conflict over a paper she co-authored. The paper discussed issues with training language AI, including its environmental impact and its potential to cause a disadvantage to marginalized groups. Google AI head Jeff Dean reportedly told colleagues in an internal email that the paper, quote, didn't meet the company's bar for publication. Gebru apparently pushed back on orders to pull the research and told the tech giant she wouldn't resign. She would resign if her conditions weren't met. She wore, she wrote on Twitter that Google didn't agree to her conditions and accepted her resignation, ending her employment much earlier than the date she specified and even before she got back from uh, a vacation that she was on. So this was all happening in early December of last year. Uh, and I'm not sure what the research paper was about. I haven't had a chance to read it. Um, but again, it, it was... The concern is that, and I've uh, touched on it a little bit, not not here, uh, just kind of in the course of my general life, I've seen things like this, right? If, if the programmers for an AI aren't from diverse backgrounds and diverse, you know, genders and uh, life styles and, you know, if it's only one group of people that's building this thing is there going to be an inherent bias that's that's basically the crux of it like <laughs> if it's all men working on this thing is is the ai going to be sexist if it's all women is it going to be uh, you know from a female perspective right and what actually is a female perspective on and on and on and on these are all the questions that are being asked um when we talk about ai and these more advanced technologies uh so her concern apparently was that it was going to potentially continue to marginal marginalize uh specific groups unfortunately the uh article from engadget didn't say exactly which groups um and i'm trying to find it right now but i i, I don't know if i'm going to be able to uh if i can't then we'll we'll have to circle back um apparently uh, da, da, da. so I'm reading this from Technology Review. I, I believe this is the MIT site that was mentioned in um, the Engadget article. Okay, so it says, quote, MIT Technology Review obtained a copy of the research paper from one of the co-authors, Emily Bender, a professor of com computational linguistics at the University of Washington. Though Bender asked us not to publish the paper itself because the authors didn't want such an early draft circulating online, it gives some insight into the questions Gebru and her colleagues were raising about AI that might be, that might be causing Google concern. Uh, quote, on the dangers of uh, Stoke, stochastic parrots can language models be too big uh that's the title of the paper stochastic s-t-o-c-h-a-s-t-i-c i don't know the meaning of that word so feel free to look it up <laughs> uh, it lays out the risks of large language models ai's trained on staggering amounts of text data these have grown increasingly popular and increasingly large in the last three years 
They are now extraordinarily good under the right conditions at producing what looks like convincing, meaningful new text and sometimes at estimating meaning from language. But, says the introduction of the paper, quote, we ask whether enough thought has been put into the potential risk risks associated with developing them and strategies to mitigate these risks, end quote. So the paper, this article continues, uh, which builds on the work of other researchers, presents the history of natural language processing, an overview of four main risks of large language models, and suggests suggestions for further research. Since the conflict with Google seems to be over the risks, we focused on summarizing those here. Um, a lot of it has, and I can't, it, it's a pretty long article, so it looks like there's a carbon footprint uh, argument, um, inscrutable models, an AI model taught to view racist language as normal is obviously bad. The researchers, though, point out a couple of more subtle problems. One is that the shifts in language play an important role in social change. The Me Too and Black Lives Matter movements, for example, have tried to establish a new anti-sexist and anti-racist vocabulary. An AI, an AI model trained on vast swaths of the internet won't be attuned to the nuances of this vocabulary and won't produce or interpret language in line with these new cult cultural norms. It will also fail to capture the language and the norms of countries and peoples that have less access to the internet and thus a smaller linguistic footprint online. The result is that AI generated language will be homogenized, reflecting the practices of the richest countries and commun communities. Moreover, because the training data sets are so large, it's hard to audit them to check for those Im embedded biases. Quote, a methodology that relies on data sets too large to document is therefore inherently risky. The researchers conclude, uh, while documentation allows for potential accountability, undocumented training data perpetuates harm without recourse. So um, a lot of it uh, to further summarize, right? Like <laughs> uh, if that kind of went over your head, if if we're not if we're not getting data from people in uh, Morocco, for example, then we're not capturing the uh, social essence of what the language tries to communicate. We're also missing out on, you know, whether or not there's a change in the cultural structure of the language. Um, very interesting stuff. I, I am not a computer programmer, so I can't speak as to how you address those issues. Um, they do. I think they're worth investigating for sure. Um, it's just curious to me. The uh, Google, I want to see what this paper actually says. And unless we see what this paper paper actually says, um, we're, we're not going to know anything because Google said that, it, and correctly so, Google said that it would be improper for them to comment on her leaving. So, and, and it's her and her co-authors that are holding back the paper. Uh, I, I understand that it's it, what they call in the early stages it's what they claim to be in the early stages it just um it, we would need to see the paper we need to see the paper unless we see the paper we don't know what's actually happening so just kind of something to keep in mind uh the, those are potentially potentially some of the conversations that are happening with ai um and google is going to f need to find a new ethicist for its ai program gta online Red Dead Online, uh, GTA Online and Red Dead Online set new player records in 2020. This comes from GameSpot. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, no wonder they're not abandoning uh, GTA, right? <laughs> it's still growing. It's still there. Uh, quote, GTA Online, the multiplayer mode for Grand Theft Auto V just keeps growing. Rockstar Games has announced that GTA Online was a record-breaking year for the game, um, reaching a new, a new all-time high for players during the year. It's a wildly impressive achievement given that the game originally released back in 2013. The milestone came during a year that saw Rockstar release the Kyo uh, Perico heist uh, for GTA Online, which represented the biggest ever update for the game. Rockstar also shared that more than half of GTA Online players who tried out the Kyo uh, Perico heist did so alone. This is the game's first heist that allowed players to do uh, heist alone. So, uh, it further puts, you know, reigns on the parade of a GTA 6. <laughs> uh, if people are still playing GTA Online uh, eight years after it was released, then, I mean, why would you why would you expand upon that? I mean, it would be nice at least once a decade. I guess we'll see if that actually happens. So uh, I went on a long rant about this uh, yesterday, so I'm not going to spend more than, I don't know, a minute or two on it. But this comes from a game rant by Richard Warren. The title is Call of Duty Warzone Update Fixes Stim Glitch Yet Again and Shakes Up Playlists. Uh, I said it yesterday. I'm going to say it again. I... I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't think it's. I think it's going to pop up again. Somebody's going to somehow figure out how to use the sword with a cooked grenade and glitch in a helicopter, which will then give you infinite stims. I don't know how this all works. People just seem to keep finding a way to break the game this way. Uh, it's it's a problem with the code, and until they address the code, it's just going to be there. As far as the content update goes. Uh, Call of Duty Warzone's Armored Royale game mode has returned to the free-to-play game, with the mode seeing each team being given a vehicle that they can use as both a respawn point and a way to get around the map. A chaotic mode that relies on strategy, rocket launchers, and explosives. The game mode has proven to be a fan favorite in the past. Fans of Rebirth Island will see Resurgence Trios making a comeback. Uh... At the same time, three-player squads that enjoy playing the Plunder game mode will be having to pick up a random player or take on a greater challenge. Uh, Plunder Blood Money Trios has been removed in favor of Plunder Quads, meaning that players will get less money from killing others and should prioritize looting instead. So, uh, there's there's that. I don't know. I like I said before. I I just don't I just don't believe it personally. I, I don't. I bet it's gonna come back. Prince of Persia, uh, the Ubisoft remake, was delayed indefinitely. Now, I take some issue with the wording of that, but maybe it's just me. Um, when I see delayed indefinitely, I just, all I hear is that it was canceled. <laughs> and it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Uh, so, it was, this comes from VGC. It says, quote, originally scheduled for release in January 2021, before being delayed to mid-March due to the COVID-19 situation, the game will now hit PS4, Xbox One, and PC at, quote, a later date. Since announcing Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake in September, we have seen an outpouring of feedback from you on this beloved franchise. The game's development team said in a statement, it is your passion and support that is driving our development teams to make the best game possible. With that said, we have made the decision to shift the release up for Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake to a later date. This extra development time will enable our teams to deliver a remake that feels fresh while remaining faithful to the original. 
We understand the update might come as a surprise, and we will continue to keep you posted on progress of Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake. In the meantime, we want to thank you for all of your ongoing support. Uh, so this article also says that it had been in development for two and a half years when it was uh, revealed in September. Following criticism of its graphics, the game's director said Ubisoft had chosen to give the remake a unique visual treatment to make it stand out from other titles, uh, which was, you know, again, it's uh, maybe you shouldn't you have you have to be careful with these kinds of things. But uh, that that phrasing coupled with the pictures that we were shown was it seemed like a cop out. It seemed like they spent as little money as possible on rendering the art of the game and <laughs> decided to call it unique when people had a uh, negative reaction to it. So um, that's what it seemed like. And once again, it seems like uh, the continuing harassment of the thing is that Nobody was going to appreciate this game as it was. Nobody was going to pick it up. And furthermore, as they kind of insinuated on their in their statement, if they had released it the way that we saw it in September, it would have been an insult to the original game. So uh, it is probably good for them to have delayed it indefinitely. Uh, my gut tells me that they're going back and redoing the entire thing. Uh, at least I hope that that's what they're doing. Otherwise, I hope that they just, uh, like I said, cancel it and just uh, move on to something else. Quit while you're ahead. You know what I mean? One of those situations. Don't don't try to force the thing. Um, so we won't see Prince of Persia anytime soon. At least not uh, in the iteration that we were maybe expecting Fortnite developer epic response to speculation about an ipo um if you've been listening to me for a little while you may or may not know uh some of the market terms such as ipo ipo stands for initial public offering that's when you raise money ahead of uh, going public and then your company is listed on the stock market and then you can buy stock in epic games uh, buy a lot of stock in Epic Games and then make it crash. No, I'm just kidding. That's uh, over in GameStop. I do have a story about that, though. With Epic Games, though, this article comes from GameSpot and it says, quote, a spokesperson for Epic told GameSpot that the company is, quote, always monitoring the market and that it has the foundation in place to make a move if it wanted to. However, right now, the company has no official plans to go public, it seems. Quote, it's fairly common for companies of our size to hire people to help broaden and deepen relationships with existing investors and build new relationships, a spokesperson said. Epic is always monitoring the market and is prepared to consider opportunities as they arise. But right now, we are focused on investing in our business, executing against our opportunities and delivering value to our investors. So for right now, Epic Games is still a private company and you can't get in on any of those Sweet, sweet tendies, but it's possible. It's possible. Uh, Senate Democrats uh, introduce a bill to limit Section 230. Back in January, at the very, very beginning of January, around the 7th or 8th, we talked about Section 230 and how it's the foundation of the Internet as we know it. And my concerns about what would happen if 
Section 230 were repealed or revised. So here we are about a month later and Senate Democrats introduce a bill to limit Section 230, according to Engadget. So, quote, a trio of Democratic senators have introduced a bill that would make online platforms more liable for the content that their users post, particularly if those posts lead to harm. The Safe Tech Act aims to limit the protections that social media companies are afforded under Section 230, a provision of the Communications Decency Act 1996 that shields them from accountability for user activity. Senators Mark Warren, Mazzy Hirono, and Amy Klobuchar said in a joint statement that the bill would make the likes of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube more liable for, quote, enabling cyberstalking, targeted harassment, and discrimination. According to protocol, staffers for the three senators consulted with civil rights groups and experts in online harm as they drafted the bill. If the act becomes law, platforms wouldn't be able to claim Section 230 liability for ads or other paid content. Many of them have been limiting political ads to varying degrees. The provision would not shield companies from complying with court orders or alleged violations of civil rights, antitrust, cyberstalking, or human rights laws at state and federal level. Additionally, the bill makes it clear that Section 230 would not protect platforms from civil actions stemming from wrongful deaths. So, as a reminder, Section 230, as I've said, is the foundational document for the Internet as we know it. And Section 230 is very short. It's very short. Most laws are like hundreds of pages long. But Section 230, the way that we communicate with each other, is just 27 words. And it says, quote, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. That's it. That's literally it. No provider, Facebook, or user, you, of an interactive computer service, Facebook, shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. You're not liable. Facebook is not liable for something you or anybody else says on the site. Uh, things get a little hairy when we talk about whether or not they are a publisher or a platform. <laughs> that's a, a that's a different conversation to be had. But this bill, the change that it would make to Section 230, it would modify the language of Section 230 to replace the word information with speech, right? Uh so it, it Senator Mark Warren tweets out that, quote, for years, Section 230 has provided a get out of jail free card to platform companies as their sites are openly and repeatedly used by bad actors to cause damage and injury. Section 230 will be brought into, into the present day with the Safe Tech Act, creating targeted expectations, targeted exceptions. Uh, and it was a tweet thread that uh, I haven't necessarily been able to read so let's read that together shall we uh first time i'm reading this so it says uh from again this is from mark warner quote the safe tech act doesn't interfere with free speech it's about allowing these platforms to finally be held accountable for harmful often criminal behavior enabled by their platforms to do which they have turned a blind eye for too long for years section 230 provided get out of frail get out of jail free card to platform companies as their sites are openly and repeatedly used by bad actors to cause damage and injury. Section 230 will be brought into the present day with the Safe Tech Act, creating targeted exceptions. 
We've never we've seen over and over again that online advertising is a key vector for all manner of frauds and scams. In many cases, targeting the most vulnerable such users, such as seniors. We've similarly seen ads used to prey upon and mislead those seeking reproductive services or those looking. And he linked to it an article from um, The Guardian that says, quote, Google loophole allows anti-abortion clinics to post deceptive ads. Um, this, again, this is from Mark Warner or those seeing looking to sign up for healthcare at Affordable Health Care Act deadline. Uh, and he linked to an article from The Inquirer that says. Pennsylvania woman was convinced she bought Obamacare insurance, uh, but she didn't, uh, I assume. <laughs> uh, again, from Mark Warner, perhaps most shockingly, the opaque and broken online advertising market these platforms operate in has been a boon for foreign-based scammers, including fraudsters based on China, allowing them to defraud and exploit American users and businesses. The bill would make it clear that Section 230 doesn't apply to ads or other paid content, bar injunction relief, impair enforcement of civil rights laws, bar wrongful death actions, bar suits under the Alien Tort Claims Act, and more. Um, so that that is what they're saying is going to happen. That Section 230 wouldn't apply to ads. Ads would need to be more strictly monitored and moderated. Uh, it wouldn't impair enforcement of civil rights laws. Um, so you I, I'm not sure what he means by that. The bill would make clear that Section 230 doesn't impair enforcement of civil rights laws. I'm not sure. what I, I really don't know what that means or the wrongful death actions part of it. I really don't know what those two things mean. Um, I'll read up on this and I'll get back to you. But this is something that, uh, you know, again, should be on your radar if you participate in the Internet and uh like being able to comment on things because <laughs> section 230 is the underpinning of all that speaking of hate speech and free speech and speech in general uh you no longer have to hear hate speech while playing destruction all-stars says kotaku by re notice um so we talked about this yesterday that by default <laughs> your playstation 5 controller is has the microphone and speaker on I don't know who thought that was a good decision, but somebody did. Um, and if you've ever spent any amount of time in an online game lobby, you just know that that it was just a bad idea from the start. Um, not only because you have to listen to somebody listening to Miley Cyrus in the background half of the time, but the other half of the time is you, you have some, uh, you have at least one person <laughs> going back and forth with another person, um, trash talking each other in the most rote base way that is just uh obviously there are a lot of racial slurs and like very uh childish immature things uh so the playstation 5 dualsense controller was on by default uh 72 hours after being released the game has been plagued by reported instances of verbal harassment exacerbated by a voice chat that's turned on by default today developer lucid games released a fix that switches the default chat to off uh the obvious choice to begin with so there you have it you don't have to <laughs> uh 
Although your controller is still on by default, it is always, that microphone is always on by default, and that's a Sony thing. That's not a Lucid Games thing. So, again, if you have, if you are lucky enough to have a PS5, just be aware of that. Your microphone is always on. It's always, always on. So you'll have to go into your settings and change that if you don't want that to be the case. Activision Blizzard is going to apply the Call of Duty model to its other franchises. So again, Activision had its earnings call yesterday. And during that earnings call, it was revealed that Call of Duty has had its best year ever. And it's been so good, apparently, that Activision Blizzard thinks that the same model should be applied to the rest of its franchises. Franchises such as Overwatch or Crash Bandicoot, or uh, World of Warcraft, or, uh, what, what is it, StarCraft. You know, uh, so that's kind of uh, what you get to look forward to. This article comes from GameSpot, and it says, quote, as part of Activision Blizzard's latest earnings report, CEO Bobby, Bobby Kotick said the company's approach to the Call of Duty series will be the model for its other series in the future. Um Quote, our approach to the franchise has become the roadmap we are now applying in many of our other games. Within Call of Duty, we have meaningfully expanded social connections and improved engagement through free-to-play experiences on mobile phones, computers, and game consoles. These initiatives expanded franchise reach with over 250 million people playing Call of Duty last year, more than tripling the 70 million people who played Call of Duty in 2018. So... They're doing very, 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 very well with um, Call of Duty. <laughs> and as I said yesterday, everything is going to tie into Warzone. It's not going to make a lick of sense, uh, but everything is going to tie into Warzone one way or another. I don't know if that is exactly the kind of uh, model that they're talking about with their other franchises, although that would make sense. They would... Uh, one, they would have to expand the universe uh, a lot for something like Crash Bandicoot to become a Call of Duty-esque platform. So not only do you have to expand the universe, which means making more games, but you also have to expand it to, like, mobile. A lot of people playing Call of Duty play Call of Duty mobile, which is not something that I thought I would ever see, but people are really hooked on Call of Duty mobile, so you not only do you have to expand the franchise in terms of content and story and lore, but you also have to expand it to uh, mobile games. You have to expand it to PC for cross-platform play. Uh, so <laughs> you see how this is making sense to them. It's going to look kind of odd. And we, uh, again, I going back to the, the issue of the metaverse, it seems like Activision Blizzard is building these huge potentially huge metaverses metaverses plural inside of activision uh which if we combine what i learned about in the metaverse well I, I, maybe i'm getting off track here but it, just know that that there may be a reality in which activision blizzard has multiple huge huge games like Warzone that are supported by uh, auxiliary games that come out 
every year, every two years, or whatever frequency. But the majority of it is spent inside of a free-to-play game. So uh, that seems to that's what I infer from it. If you hear heard something else, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at the wolf underscore one one two zero, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the wolf one one two zero. Either one of those places you can find me. Hit me up. Let me know what's going on. All right, we are only halfway through this, so I'm going to try to speed up a little bit, but not get too crazy with this. A Sony patent could hint at upgraded DualSense controller plans. A Sony patent may have hinted, this comes from IGN by Jordan Oloman, uh, a Sony patent may have hinted at a potential future revision to the DualSense controller. As reported by Respawn First, a patent found on the United States Patent and Trademark Office website suggests that Sony may be working to implement a Wi-Fi transceiver in future peripherals. The technology will allow controllers to make inputs via a Wi-Fi transceiver, as well as the regular Bluetooth transceiver, which is present in both DualShock 4 and DualSense. Whichever of the two input signals reaches the PlayStation first will be used. Having two potential commands at once will apparently work to reduce latency, according to Pattern's description. Patent, uh, the patent image depicts a DualShock 4 controller with a Wi-Fi node in the touchpad area. It was filed nearly two years ago in July of 2019, but given its recent publication, it means that Sony may be considering implementing the technology in future controllers. Uh, so it really is just a way to reduce lag latency between your controller and your console without using a wire. Um, so there's that. <laughs> you know, um, I haven't, I, I don't it would have to be a pretty big difference for me personally to notice a reduction in latency, or I'd have to be a professional player. I, I don't know. A professional player would probably know better than me. They would also probably be using a wired controller because that's a hard connection that can travel at the speed of light. So, I, I, you know, <laughs> I guess we'll see if that actually makes a difference. I don't off the top of my head. I don't think it will, but who knows? All right. A glitch in the matrix and the obsession of simulation theory. It comes from Engadget, right? And it's a kind of a, a preview for a movie that you can watch on YouTube. I haven't seen it. I recommend you see it. Watch it with me. Comment on it. Let me know what's uh, what you think. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it's based around this idea that uh, we're all living inside of a simulation, kind of like the Matrix, right? And we just can't see it. So this documentary kind of explores the people that believe this and why they believe that and you know their reasoning behind it uh apparently elon musk is one of these people who may or may not believe in the uh simulation uh theory so uh keep that in mind that'd be kind of interesting to see uh pop its head up in in other areas apex legends has made one billion in less than two years and the switch Mobile editions are coming. So this comes from GameSpot. It says, quote, uh, Let's all remember, less than two years ago, no one knew this product existed. Today, it's over $1 billion, Jorgensen said, who's the CFO of EA. Uh, 
He said, quote, we think there is a huge upside to this product over time. And I just encourage people to keep focused on that because we don't have a mobile product today. We don't have a switch product today. There are still other platforms around the world that we might go on. This is an opportunity that will last for a very long time. And we are trying to build it for the long range, not just a one year blip. So we are very excited about that. Apex Legends is coming to Nintendo Switch in March, and part of the reason why EA is releasing the game on Nintendo's console is because of Apex's popularity in Japan, where the Switch is doing big numbers. Uh, the Switch is doing big numbers everywhere. We've talked about it before. It's been the best-selling console for 24 months straight. I don't know about last month, but it was. it's selling a lot. A lot, way outselling the PS5 and the uh, uh, Series X, so... Makes sense to put it on the Switch. It just, uh, Nintendo is going a weird direction. I didn't think I'd ever see Mortal Kombat and, uh, Apex Legends on the Switch. Just seems like there's a weird clash there in my brain. I don't know if it's just me or if other people feel that way too. So, a man was arrested for selling hacks Pokemon Sword and Shield Sobel. This is from Destructoid by Chris Moisey. Quote, a Japanese man has been arrested by authorities for allegedly generating and selling hacked critters from Nintendo Switch release Pokemon Sword and Shield. The 23-year-old was apprehended in Nagayo City, Aichi Prefecture, after being caught allegedly selling a hacked Sobel. I don't know what a Sobel is. Um, I, maybe it's a Pokemon? I don't know exactly what is uh, what, what a Sobel is or how you hack one, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, the suspect is accused of having used a jailbroken Nintendo Switch console to run a service online in which they would create hacked Pokemon to order with each critter retailing for around 500 yen with a commission fee up to 800 yen. Should an individual order six Pokemon or more, it is alleged, it is alleged that the man used has made somewhere in the region of 1, 1.15 million yen, roughly 10,000 since Pokemon Sword and Shield released in November 2019. Um, so it's it's nothing new, right? <laughs> like creating characters and, you know, cheating basically and selling those cheats to other people for real money. Um, I, I just, I, I didn't know Pokemon was that, I mean, I know Pokemon's big. Don't get me wrong. Like if you could drive around, uh, and open legendary eggs in Pokemon go and then sell those to other people, like, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, it, it just, it's, it's a strange little story to me. Activision veteran David Tyler joins Tencent. Reason I bring this up is because, as I've said before, one of my main focuses on the games industry overall is the business side of things because I find that there is a... Uh, I feel like we don't talk about that enough. So I'm here to talk about that, and I find it interesting personally. So the reason I want to talk about this is because Tencent is a... Massive, 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 massive Chinese company that is kind of like it's the Chinese version of Microsoft. Uh, if Microsoft and Apple joined together, that would be Tencent. <laughs> That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, the point is that Tencent is huge, 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 very big. It's valued. It's one of five companies or six companies that are valued at a trillion dollars or more. Um, so when they get, uh, talent from 
a company like Activision, which has had its best year in 30 years, right? Uh, presumably with this guy at the head, uh, then, you know, they're trying to make some big moves. So this comes from gamesindustry.biz. It says, quote, former Call of Duty marketing leader takes global marketing role at the world's biggest games conglomerate. So David Tyler was working on Call of Duty marketing. He is probably the reason behind the partially. I mean, the lockdowns and the shutdowns had a lot to do with the success of Call of Duty. But you would you would need to assume that this guy's ideas had some effect on the success of Call of Duty. Uh, this comes from Christopher Christopher Dring. It says, quote, Tyler is a highly experienced marketer with over 20 years of experience, including almost 14 at Activision Blizzard. He's held numerous roles at Activision, including handling the European marketing for the firm's licensed games such as James Bond and Spider-Man. But he is best known for marketing work on the Call of Duty series. He was part of the team that launched Call of Duty Modern Warfare in the UK. And in 2012, he became international VP of marketing for the hit franchise, a position he held for seven years. Since leaving Activision in 2019, Tyler has worked as a consultant supporting development teams such as Techland. His new role at Tencent sees the Chinese games giant build out its marketing capabilities alongside its continued huge investments in games, developers, and publishers. So, uh, so just something to keep in mind. Something some to keep in mind. We may see a lot of uh, aggressive advertising of Tencent properties. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, it, it just, you know, it just is. It just, that's what his job is. And he's been relatively successful at it. So uh, just kind of be aware that Wall Street bets uh, on Reddit is in turmoil amid the GameStop stock crash. So again, I'm going to be talking to uh, Hilmar Peterson on Tuesday about markets and crashes and what happens with a short squeeze. What is a real world? What is a, a video game example of what's happening in the real world? Uh, so I, I saw this when I was scrolling through Twitter or Facebook or something. Uh, apparently, uh, Wall Street bets, it was there were only a few thousand people that were active on it before all this blew up. Um, and some of the moderators had left and they weren't active in it. And apparently they came back, right? As they do, they came back once everything blew up and they tried to wrest control of the thing from the lower moderators and they sold the, their rights to the right to their life story for book and movie deals and it's all it's all a mess it's all a big old mess um on the gamestop side of it it could it could go out of business we talked about this the other day what you know once the crash hits it could could very quickly run out of money and file for bankruptcy it could just stop existing that's the issue with playing these kind of wealth transfer games inside of the stock market it's all very connected to each other part of that is that uh it gamestop is where where did i see it okay so gamestop is bringing in uh somebody to help them maybe it was a different article they're they're bringing in somebody to help them with um yes 
Here it is. This is from gamesindustry.biz. Again, GameStop hires Amazon Web Services lead as chief technology officer. Okay, so uh, they, I mean, GameStop may make a comeback and they may legitimately trade for $400 a share if they're able to do it. <laughs> but uh, what's happening with the stock market manipulation it has to be pretty, pretty scary for for GameStop as a company and uh, any legitimate investors. So uh, here, here's here's what's going on. Okay, uh, the it, the article says, "quote GameStop announced the appointment of Matt Francis as its new CTO. Sorry, February fifteenth, twenty twenty one." Francis will join from Amazon Web Services, where he's been engineering leader for the past year. Prior to that, he held senior engineering and tech positions at the likes of real estate startup Fly Homes and e-commerce company Zulily. GameStop also hired Kelly Durkin as senior vice president of customer care and Josh Kruger as vice president of fulfillment. Both will be starting in their new role in March 2021. So we'll see if GameStop is able to make it through the rest of the year. I have a bad feeling that they're not going to exist in a year uh, the, by this time next year. I have a bad feeling about that, but I also, after reading that, I have an equally good feeling that it, GameStop is going to come back and be bigger than ever. So I guess we'll see what ultimately happens with this new team restructuring, but Things uh things on the Reddit aren't going very well. A four-year-old was investigated by police for talking about Fortnite. So this comes from the gamer by Josh Colson. Uh, the long and short of it is that uh, in the UK, <laughs> they're very very different about the way they approach. Well, they used to be very different. Now now we're drifting toward the same. So any discussion of of weapons or anything is cause for alarm but more than that apparently there's a law in the uk or something that is designed to prevent kids from being radicalized so this four-year-old uh was overheard talking about how his dad quote had guns and bombs in his shed right um but he's a four-year-old you know <laughs> so uh, uh for whatever reason he was talking about uh fortnite Somehow he mixed Fortnite and like real world. And, you know, I, I don't know what shed he was talking about. And I, I don't know exactly how this happened. But um, it sparked a an investigation by either a teacher or uh, some other parent or something, which led to the police showing up to this kid's house and talking to the family and Apparently, the boy's mom told the Guardian, quote, that the officer who visited their house looked uneasy and questioned whether there would have been a follow up visit had her son not been a Muslim. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Uh, it's just it. Uh, you'll have to just you'll have to dissect uh, the implications from this yourself. I'm not here to tell you how to think or what to think. It just uh I'm here to present the story. Sometimes I lose sight of that, but with with this one, I need to, <laughs> I need to make sure that I keep that in mind. Um, 
So the law is called the prevent strategy, and it was introduced in the UK in 2003 as a means to prevent children from becoming radicalized from a young age. Schools and after school clubs are required to report anything telling or worrying they might see or hear to the authorities. So that's what triggered this uh, visit from the police. Um, like we talked about, uh, Ori director apologizes for previous criticism. Uh, SpaceX uh, filing reveals that Starlink internet service has over 10,000 users. I wish that I was one of those users. I really honestly, truly do because it sounds amazing. 100 gigabyte download speeds anywhere on the planet. It's just it sounds amazing. It's not up and running yet. It's still in the alpha testing. Um, I, I, I stand corrected. It's in public beta testing. Okay. So this comes from Engadget and it says satellite beams internet service kicked off late last year for people in the US, Canada, and the UK. And an FCC application tells us a bit about how things are going so far. CNBC points out the filing, which seeks designation for Starlink as an eligible telecommunications carrier, and notes that SpaceX reports over 10,000 people are already using the service. Starlink is seeking designation so it can access the millions of dollars it's been granted from the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund to provide service across a number of states. The letter also notes that SpaceX already has more than 1,000 satellites in orbit. Um, it just launched a few more last night. And that its network is show, showing it can provide more than 100 download speed, 100 megabit download speeds, 20 megabit upload speeds per second connection, as well as less than 30 millisecond of latency for 95% of round trip measurements. So, uh, again, it sounds really amazing. I really, 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 really personally want in on Starlink. I really, truly, honestly do. Okay, speaking of the link between Starlink and Microsoft, Microsoft's head of cloud gaming weighs in on exclusivity. This comes from GameRant. Quote, we don't think that's the answer. That's more or less the uh, long and short of it. <laughs> so somebody asked if, uh, if there were going to be exclusive titles uh, on, the, on the Xbox cloud service, right? Um, so he he goes out and he explains so he being uh james gertzman he says quote i came to microsoft because of playfab and they acquired playfab because phil spencer had this vision of building the world's best gaming platform that's no longer just about silicon on the xbox it's increasingly about the cloud we've had a really good run and we've grown almost 10 times since we came to microsoft the fun job I have now is selling tools and services to developers of all sizes and really help them build their businesses too. One of the things I love about our team is we have a service called PlayFab Party. It's our voice chat solution and it's supported by on a bunch of platforms, including Switch, PlayStation, even Stadia. We had to get special clearance from our lawyers, but we want to supply services that work across all these platforms. Every developer has the same goal, which is to target gamers. Our Xbox team will compete compete with PlayStation to try and get more gamers to buy our device, but at the same time, when it comes to helping game developers, the goal is to help them reach gamers wherever they are. So, there you have that. Um, you know, it, it just... It, it's just not good to have exclusivity, right? That's that's something that is talked about in business school everywhere, right? Inclusivity increases business everywhere. So... 
that would apply to games as well. <clears throat> Inclusivity in this case being different platforms. Uh, he goes on to say, quote, the average game developer doesn't want exclusivity. The average game developer wants to be on every device that players are on. They want a mobile version, a console version. Console makers sometimes want exclusivity because they want their console to be special or better or whatever. But no, we don't think it's the answer. We've been pretty open about trying to support cross-platform experiences. <clears throat> so a lot of people were worried about Microsoft uh, buying ZeniMax Bethesda. And whether or not <laughs> you'd be able to play Fallout on uh, the PS5, but it, it just it everything that I've seen indicates that it Microsoft and Xbox don't necessarily believe in exclusivity. Uh, that's not to say that you're going to get the same experience on the PS5. You may have a better time on the Series X, but everything that I or you may get it first. Everything that I've seen indicates to me that there aren't going to be... Xbox is not about exclusives, whereas PS5 is all about exclusives. And, and Nintendo, right? Uh, Xbox is not... It's not about that game. Not about that life. So, I I wouldn't worry about it too much, is, is what I'm trying to say. Call of Duty maintained 100, mon 100 million monthly players in 2020. Again, contributing to its success and the reason why uh, Activision Blizzard wants to use that format for its other franchises. Um, I picked up this article. It's called Why I Love Scanning Planets in Mass Effect 2. I picked it up as a joke uh, to jokingly say, if this is a joke, I need to reiterate that a million times, to jokingly say that you have the wrong opinion Scanning planets is not... It's boring. Bring back the Mako. I want the Mako. <laughs> that was the extent of my joke. That was the reason I picked that article. Joke over. Okay. Top-ranked Valorant player... Valorant Pro banned for cheating. Who then tells Riot to prove it? So, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Riot Games is doing a very good job, I believe, of trying to prevent cheaters from being in the game so when a pro is banned for allegedly cheating which happened in call of duty <laughs> um this pro feels confident enough to say you know prove it which i'm sure riot is going to do so uh it'll be interesting to see so this comes from pc gamer by morgan park uh from yesterday and it says uh the pro is barred from competing in official riot competitions. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know how to say his name. So I'm going to say the gamer tag, which I think I might know how to say better. Nice. Nice. I'm going to go with Nice. Uh, riot has handed down a 12 month ban for Valorant pro player and top EU ranked player. Nice for cheating in a ranked match. The official Valorant esports account for Turkey announced the ban earlier today citing an official an official investigation by Riot Games into the player. As a result, uh, he has been dropped by his team and his contract has been terminated. In a twit longer response, I don't know what twit longer is, um, he called on Riot Games to provide evidence of the third-party software that proves he cheated. 
Quote, I personally think I'm being wronged, but I cannot do anything against a company like Riot. I request Riot to show me proof of the third-party software they detected, and that is cheating. So, yeah, it kind of goes to sports betting, right? Should should you bet on esports? 50% of people say they will. I say until there are hard connections and you have, like, you can monitor everything that goes into the esport, it shouldn't uh, you shouldn't bet on it. You also can't, I mean, proving that somebody cheated, this is kind of like the dream situation. You know, did he cheat? Did he cheat? You can kind of dissect it uh, and try to show what actually happened. But, I mean, if you're not controlling the the hardware, that is to say the computer, uh, it's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult almost to the point of impossibility but I, you know, again, I'm not a games programmer, or uh, or uh, computer scientist, so I, I don't know all the intricacies that go into that. Uh, it just, it, it just seems like a difficult task to to accomplish. So, uh, I think I only have one more story. I only have one more story. So here is the final story, which I find I found kind of kind of vaguely amusing so i talked about the other day how elite dangerous is the new mass effect and how mass effect developers would come back and do a, a mass effect game if it were like elite dangerous i play on the console because i'm a console gamer that's just how i prefer to play although i <laughs> i may end up joining the pc master race i don't know but uh, I play Elite Dangerous on the Xbox One, and <laughs> I found I found this kind of relatable. So apparently, there's a group. It reminds me of um, uh, Eve Online. So apparently, there's a group of players. They're called Commanders. There's a group of Commanders in Elite Dangerous that are recruiting what they're calling recruiting um, new players to help them mine a rare mineral or something. They're transporting them 800 light years away <laughs> and uh, making their making sure that their ships can't jump more than two light years from where they're at. So they can't make it to another system. So it's funny to me in a in a in a weird way. It's funny and it's not funny because they're basically it's basically slavery. Right. Um I laugh because there's an easy way out. You can just destroy your ship and go back to the starting point. Um, it's less funny when you think about the implications of something like this happening in the in the metaverse, where it's theoretically more could be more difficult, right? Uh, Frontier Development says they're monitoring the situation and they are mostly staying hands off, although they also were careful to say that they won't hesitate to step in if there is any breach of the terms of service or the uh, conduct that is required in Elite Dangerous. Uh, this this reporter, Charlie Hall, apparently from Polygon, apparently joined the Discord channel for this group of commanders that is uh, using essentially slave labor <laughs> to farm this rare mineral he joined the discord and he claims that it was named after it, this is an actual quote from the article 
It's named after one of Hitler's favorite panzer divisions. I don't know what that means. Um, personally. Uh, so I don't... The, the implication, though, is obviously that it is um, a very dangerous place to be. <laughs> a server that you don't want to really join, right? Unless you're a white supremacist i don't know i can't speak to that i have no choice but to believe him uh he says that there were a lot of racial slurs being used uh so it, it just it could be it could be a situation where they are trying to create uh like a an ultra powerful state inside of uh elite dangerous and they claim to be saying as much, right? Because they said that we're not going to stop. It started as a joke, but we're not going to stop. We're going to be the biggest uh, entity in Elite Dangerous on Xbox One. So, And nobody's going to stop us. There are two groups that are trying to help uh, these new players out uh, by trying to rescue them and refuel them and, you know, it's starting to sound like Elite Dangerous is turning into EVE Online with less players and potentially less intricacy, um, which I think would be kind of cool. This is something to keep an eye on for sure. A, the implications of this are are interesting, and I'll, I'll have to give this some more thought. Uh, again, I hope that I'm able to get he Hilmar Peterson on the podcast to talk about these kinds of things because, it, again, it makes me wonder... EVE Online is a not older, but it, different, right? It's it's larger things are happening in EVE Online than they are in Elite Dangerous. So it makes me wonder if there if there has been an instance of something like this where slave labor has been used um, by players. So <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just curious to, to know some of the history behind this. But interesting. I, I'm going to use the word interesting. It, interesting, vaguely humorous situation happening in Elite Dangerous. It could evolve into something more sinister and something much more um, serious. But for right now, for right now, it's mostly humorous to me. You let me know if you disagree, if you think it's a serious problem that needs to be uh, talked about, that needs uh, Frontier Developments to step in. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at the wolf underscore 1120 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the wolf 1120. But for now, uh, that's all I had. It's been a relatively long show, and I apologize for that. But we hit a lot of stories, talked about a lot of things. I hope I gave you some things to think about. Uh, and I will, uh, hopefully catch you on Sunday for squirrely Sundays. Otherwise I'll see you Monday for the weekend roundup. All right, guys, I'll see you then. Peace.